Chapter Forty Nine of the Claverings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jean Bascom. The Claverings by Anthony Trollope. Chapter Forty Nine. Showing what happened off Heligoland. During the six weeks after this, Harry Clavering settled down to his work at the chambers in the Adelphi with exemplary diligence. Florence, having remained a fortnight in town after Harry's return to the sheepfold, and having accepted Lady Ongar's present, not without a long and anxious consultation with her sister-in-law on the subject, had returned in fully restored happiness to Stratton. Mrs. Burton was at Ramsgate with the children, and Mr. Burton was in Russia with reference to a line of railway which was being projected from Moscow to Astrakhan. It was now September, and Harry, in his letters home, declared that he was the only person left in London. It was hard upon him, much harder than it was upon the Wallachers and other young men whom fate retained in town, for Harry was a man given to shooting a man accustomed to pass the autumnal months in a country house and then if things had chanced to go one way instead of another he would have had his own shooting down at ongar park with his friends admiring him at his heels or if not so this year he would have been shooting elsewhere with the prospect of these rich joys for years to come as it was he had promised to stick with the shop and was sticking to it manfully nor do i think that he allowed his mind to revert to those privileges which might have been his at all more frequently than any of my readers would have done in his place he was sticking to the shop and though he greatly disliked the hot desolation of london in those days being absolutely afraid to frequent his club at such a period of the year and though he hated wallacher mortally he was fully resolved to go on with his work who could tell what might be his fate Perhaps in another ten years he might be carrying that Russian railway on through the deserts of Siberia. Then there came to him sudden tidings which disturbed all his resolutions and changed the whole current of his life. At first there came a telegram to him from the country, desiring him to go down at once to Clavering, but not giving him any reason. Added to the message were these words, We are all well at the parsonage, words evidently added in thoughtfulness. But before he had left the office there came to him there a young man from the bank at which his cousin Hugh kept his account, telling him the tidings to which the telegram no doubt referred. Jack Stewart's boat had been lost, and his two cousins had gone to their graves beneath the sea. The master of that boat, Stewart himself, with a boy, had been saved. The other sailors, whom they had taken with them, and the ship Stewart, had perished with the claverings. Stuart, it seemed, had caused tidings of the accident to be sent to the rector of Clavering and to Sir Hugh's bankers. At the bank they had ascertained that their late customer's cousin was in town, and their messenger had thereupon been sent, first to Bloomsbury Square, and from thence to the Adelphi. Harry had never loved his cousins. The elder he had greatly disliked, and the younger he would have disliked had he not despised him but not the less on that account was he inexpressibly shocked when he first heard what had happened. The lad said that there could, as he imagined, be no mistake. The message had come, as he believed, from Holland, but of that he was not certain. There could, however, be no doubt about the fact. It distinctly stated that both brothers had perished. 
harry had known when he received the message from home that no train would take him till three in the afternoon and had therefore remained at the office but he could not remain now his head was confused and he could hardly bring himself to think how this matter would affect himself when he attempted to explain his absence to an old serious clerk there he spoke of his own return to the office as certain he should be back he supposed in a week at the furthest he was thinking thus of his promises to theodore burton and had not begun to realize the fact that his whole destiny in life would be changed he said something with a long face on the terrible misfortune which had occurred but it gave no hint that the misfortune would be important in its consequences to himself it was not till he had reached his lodging in bloomsbury square that he remembered that his own father was now the baronet and that he was his father's heir and then for a moment he thought about the property he believed it was entailed but even of that he was not certain but if it were unentailed to whom could his cousin have left it he endeavoured however to expel such thoughts from his mind as though there was something ungenerous in entertaining them he tried to think of the widow but even in doing that he could not tell himself there was much ground for genuine sorrow no wife had ever had less joy from her husband's society than lady clavering had had from that of sir hugh there was no child to mourn the loss no brother no unmarried sister sir hugh had had friends as friendship goes with such men but harry could not doubt whether among them all there would be one who would feel anything like true grief for his loss and it was the same with archie who in the world would miss archie clavering what man or woman would find the world to be less bright because archie clavering was sleeping beneath the waves some score of men at his club would talk of poor clavvy for a few days would do so without any pretence at the tenderness of sorrow and then even of archie's memory there would be an end thinking of all this as he was carried down to clavering harry could not but acknowledge that the loss to the world had not been great but even while telling himself this he would not allow himself to take comfort in the prospect of his heirship once perhaps he did speculate how florence should bear her honours as lady clavering but this idea he swept away from his thoughts as quickly as he was able the tidings had reached the parsonage very late on the previous night so late that the rector had been disturbed in his bed to receive them it was his duty to make known to lady clavering the fact that she was a widow but this he could not do till the next morning but there was little sleep that night for him or for his wife he knew well enough that the property was entailed he felt with sufficient strength what it was to become a baronet at a sudden blow and to become also the owner of the whole clavering property he was not slow to think of the removal to the great house of the altered prospects of his son and of the mode of life which would be fitting for himself in the future before the morning came he had meditated who should be the future rector of clavering and had made some calculations as to the expediency of resuming his hunting not that he was a heartless man or that he rejoiced at what had happened but a man's ideas of generosity change as he advances in age and the rector was old enough to tell himself boldly that this thing that had happened could not be to him a cause of much grief he had never loved his cousins or pretended to love them his cousin's wife he did love after a fashion but in speaking to his own wife of the way in which this tragedy would affect hermione he did not scruple to speak of her widowhood as a period of coming happiness she will be cut to pieces said mrs clavering she was attached to him as earnestly as though he had treated her always well i believe it but not the less will she feel her release unconsciously and her life which has been very wretched will gradually become easy to her 
even mrs clavering could not deny that this would be so and then they reverted to matters which more closely concerned themselves i suppose harry will marry at once now said the mother no doubt it is almost a pity is it not the rector as we still call him was thinking that florence was hardly a fitting wife for his son with his altered prospects ah what a grand thing it would have been if the clavering property and lady ongar's jointure could have gone together not a pity at all said mrs clavering you will find that florence will make him a very happy man i dare say i dare say only he would hardly have taken her had this sad accident happened before he saw her but if she will make him happy that is everything i have never thought much about money myself if i find any comfort in these tidings it is for his sake not for my own i would sooner remain as i am this was not altogether untrue and yet he was thinking of the big house and the bunting what will be done about the living it was early in the morning when mrs clavering asked this question she had thought much about the living during the night and so had the rector but his thoughts had not run in the same direction as hers he made no immediate answer and she went on with her question do you think that you will keep it in your own hands well no why should i i am too idle about it as it is i should be more so under these altered circumstances i am sure you would do your duty if you resolved to keep it but i don't see why you should do so clavering is a great deal better than humbleton said the rector humbleton was the name of the parish held by mr fielding his son-in-law but the idea put forward did not suit the idea which was running in mrs clavering's mind edward and mary are very well off she said his own property is considerable and i don't think they want anything besides he would hardly like to give up a family living i might ask him at any rate i was thinking of mr saul said mrs clavering boldly of mr saul the image of mr saul as rector of clavering perplexed the new baronet egregiously well yes he is an excellent clergyman no one can deny that then there was silence between them for a few moments in that case he and fanny would of course marry it is no good concealing the fact that she is very fond of him upon my word i can't understand it said the rector it is so and as to the excellence of his character there can be no doubt to this the rector made no answer but went away into his dressing-room that he might prepare himself for his walk across the park to the great house while they were discussing who should be the future incumbent of the living lady clavering was still sleeping in the unconsciousness of her fate mr clavering greatly dreaded the task which was before him and had made a little attempt to induce his wife to take the office upon herself but she had explained to him that it would be more seemly that he should be the bearer of the tidings it would seem that you are wanting an affection for her if you do not go yourself his wife had said to him that the rector of clavering was master of himself and of his own actions no one who knew the family ever denied but the instances in which he declined to follow his wife's advice were not many it was about eight o'clock when he went across the park he had already sent a messenger with a note to beg that lady clavering would be up to receive him as he would come very early he had said perhaps she would see him in her own room the poor lady had of course been greatly frightened by this announcement but this fear had been good for her as they had well understood at the rectory the blow dreadfully sudden as it must be would be somewhat less sudden under this preparation when mr clavering reached the house the servant was in waiting to show him upstairs to the sitting-room which lady clavering usually occupied when alone she had been waiting there for him for the last half-hour mr clavering what is it she exclaimed as he entered with tidings of death written on his visage in the name of heaven what is it you have something to tell me of hugh 
dear hermione he said taking her by the hand what is it tell me at once is he alive the rector still held her by the hand but spoke no word he had been trying as he came across the park to arrange the words in which he should tell his tale but now it was told without any speech on his part he is dead why do you not speak why are you so cruel dearest hermione what am i to say to comfort you what he might say after this was of little moment for she had fainted he rang the bell and then when the servants were there the old housekeeper and lady clavering's maid he told to them rather than to her what had been their master's fate and captain archie said the housekeeper the rector shook his head and the housekeeper knew that the rector was now the baronet they took the poor widow to her own room should i not rather call her as i may venture to speak the truth the enfranchised slave rather than the poor widow and the rector taking up his hat promised that he would send his wife across to their mistress his morning's task had been painful but it had been easily accomplished as he walked home among the oaks of clavering park he told himself no doubt that they were now all his own that day at the rectory was very sombre if it was not actually sad the greater part of the morning mrs clavering passed with the widow and sitting near her sofa she wrote sundry letters to those who were connected with the family the longest of these was to lady ongar who was now at tenby and in that there was a pressing request for hermione that her sister would come to her at clavering park tell her said lady clavering that all her anger must be over now but mrs clavering said nothing of julia's anger she merely urged the request that julia would come to her sister she will be sure to come said mrs clavering you need have no fear on that head but how can i invite her here when the house is not my own pray do not talk that way hermione the house will be your own for any time that you may want it your husband's relations are your dear friends are they not but this allusion to her husband brought her to another fit of hysterical tears both of them gone she said both of them gone now mrs clavering knew well that she was not alluding to the two brothers but to her husband and her baby of poor archie no one had said a word beyond that one word spoken by the housekeeper for her it had been necessary that she should know who was now the master of clavering park twice in the day mrs clavering went over to the big house and on her second return late in the evening she found her son when she arrived there had already been some few words on the subject between him and his father have you heard of it harry yes a clerk came to me from the bankers dreadful is it not quite terrible to think of indeed it is sir i was never so shocked in my life he would go in that cursed boat though i know that he was advised against it said the father holding up his hands and shaking his head and now both of them gone both gone at once how does she bear it your mother is with her now when i went in the morning i had written a line and she expected bad news she fainted of course i could do nothing i can hardly say that i told her she asked the question and then saw by my face that her fears were well founded upon my word i was glad when she did faint it was the best thing for her it must have been very painful for you terrible terrible and the rector shook his head it will make a great difference in your prospects harry and in your life sir so to say you are as young a man as myself am i i believe i was about as young when you were born but i don't think at all about myself in this matter i am too old to care to change my manner of living it won't affect me very much indeed i hardly know yet how it may affect me your mother thinks i ought to give up the living if you were in orders harry i'm very glad sir that i am not i suppose so and there is no need certainly there is no need you will be able to do pretty nearly what you like about the property i shall not care to interfere yes you will sir it feels strange now but you will soon get used to it i wonder whether he left a will 
it can't make any difference to you you know every acre of the property is entailed she has her settlement eight hundred a year i think it is she'll not be a rich woman like her sister i wonder where she'll live as far as that goes she might stay at the house if she likes it i'm sure your mother wouldn't object harry on this occasion asked no questions about the living but he also had thought of that he knew well that his mother would befriend mr saul and he knew also that his father would ultimately take his mother's advice as regarded himself he had no personal objection to mr saul though he could not understand how his sister should feel any strong regard for such a man edward fielding would make a better neighbour at the parsonage and then he thought whether an exchange might not be made after that and before his mother's return from the great house he took a stroll through the park with fanny fanny altogether declined to discuss any of the family prospects as they were affected by the accident which had happened to her mind the tragedy was so terrible that she could only feel its tragic element no doubt she had her own thoughts about mr saul as connected with it what would he think of this sudden death of the two brothers how would he feel it if she could be allowed to talk to him on the matter what would he say of their fate here and hereafter would he go to the great house to offer the consolations of religion to the widow of all this she thought much but no picture of mr saul as rector of clavering or of herself as mistress in her mother's house presented itself to her mind harry found her to be a dull companion and he perhaps consoled himself with some personal attention to the oak trees which loomed larger upon him now than they had ever done before on the third day the rector went up to london leaving harry at the parsonage it was necessary that lawyers should be visited and that such facts as to the loss should be proved as were capable of proof there was no doubt at all as to the fate of sir hugh and his brother the escape of mr stuart and of two of those employed by him prevented the possibility of a doubt the vessel had been caught in a gale off heligoland and had foundered they had all striven to get into the yacht's boat but those who had succeeded in doing so had gone down the master of the yacht had seen the two brothers perish those who were saved had been picked up off the spars to which they had attached themselves there was no doubt in the way of the new baronet and no difficulty nor was there any will made by either sir hugh or his brother poor archie had nothing to leave and that he should have left no will was not remarkable but neither had there been much in the power of sir hugh to bequeath nor was there any great cause for a will on his part had he left a son his son would have inherited everything he had however died childless and his wife was provided for by her settlement on his marriage he had made the amount settled as small as his wife's friends would accept and no one who knew the man expected that he would increase the amount after his death having been in town for three days the rector returned being then in full possession of the title but this he did not assume till after the second sunday from the date of the telegram which brought the news in the meantime harry had written to florence to whom the tidings were as important as to any one concerned she had left london very triumphant quite confident that she had nothing now to fear from lady ongar or from any other living woman having not only forgiven harry his sins but having succeeded also in persuading herself that there had been no sins to forgive having quarrelled with her brother half a dozen times in that he would not accept her arguments on this matter he too would forgive harry had forgiven him was quite ready to omit all further remark on the matter but could not bring himself when urged by florence to admit that her apollo had been altogether godlike florence had thus left london in triumph but she had gone with a conviction that she and harry must remain apart for some indefinite time which probably must be measured by years let us see at the end of two years she had said and harry had been forced to be content but how would it be with her now 
harry of course began his letter by telling her of the catastrophe with the usual amount of epithets it was very terrible awful shocking the saddest thing that had ever happened the poor widow was in a desperate state and all the claverings were nearly beside themselves but when this had been duly said he allowed himself to go into their own home question i cannot fail he wrote to think of this chiefly as it concerns you or rather as it concerns myself in reference to you i suppose i shall leave the business now indeed my father seems to think that my remaining there would be absurd and my mother agrees with him as i am the only son the property will enable me to live easily without a profession when i say me of course you will understand what me means the better part of me is so prudent that i know she will not accept this view of things without ever so much consideration and therefore she must come to clavering to hear it discussed by the elders for myself i cannot now bear to think that i should take delight in the results of this dreadful misfortune but how am i to keep myself from being made happy by the feeling that we may now be married without further delay after all that has passed nothing will make me happy or even permanently comfortable till i can call you fairly my own my mother has already said that she hopes you will come here in about a fortnight that is as soon as we shall have fallen tolerably into our places again but she will write herself before that time i have written a line to your brother addressed to the office which i suppose will find him i have written also to cecilia your brother no doubt will hear the news first through the french newspapers then he said a little but a very little as to their future modes of life just intimating to her and no more that her destiny might probably call upon her to be the mother of a future baronet the news had reached clavering on a saturday on the following sunday every one in the parish had no doubt heard of it but nothing on the subject was said in church on that day the rector remained at home during the morning and the whole service was performed by mr saul but on the second sunday mr fielding had come over from humbleton and he preached a sermon on the loss which the parish had sustained in the sudden death of the two brothers it is perhaps well that such sermons should be preached the inhabitants of clavering would have felt that their late lords had been treated like dogs had no word been said of them in the house of god the nature of their fate had forbidden even the common ceremony of a burial service it is well that some respect should be maintained from the low station toward those who are high even where no respect has been deserved and for the widow's sake it was well that some notice should be taken in clavering of this death of the head of the claverings but i should not myself have liked the duty of preaching a eulogistic sermon on the lives and death of hugh clavering and his brother archie what had either of them ever done to merit a good word from any man or to earn the love of any woman that sir hugh had been loved by his wife had come from the nature of the woman not at all from the qualities of the man both of the brothers had lived on the unexpressed theory of consuming for the benefit of their own backs and their own bellies the greatest possible amount of those good things which fortune might put in their way i doubt whether either of them had ever contributed anything willingly to the comfort or happiness of any human being hugh being powerful by nature and having a strong will had tyrannized over all those who were subject to him archie not gifted as was his brother had been milder softer and less actively hateful but his principle of action had been the same everything for himself was it not well that two such men should be consigned to the fishes and that the world especially the clavering world and that poor widow who now felt herself to be so inexpressibly wretched when her period of comfort was in truth only commencing was it not well that the world and claverings should be well quit of them that idea is the one which one would naturally have felt inclined to put into one's sermon on such an occasion and then to sing some song of rejoicing either to do that or to leave the matter alone 
but not so are such sermons preached and not after that fashion did the young clergyman who had married the first cousin of these claverings buckle himself to the subject he indeed had i think but little difficulty either inwardly with his conscience or outwardly with his subject he possessed the power of a pleasant easy flow of words and of producing tears if not from other eyes at any rate from his own he drew a picture of the little ship amid the storm and of god's hand as it moved in its anger upon the waves but of the cause of that divine wrath and its direction he said nothing then of the suddenness of death and its awfulness he said much not insisting as he did so on the necessity of repentance for salvation as far as those two poor sinners were concerned no indeed how could any preacher have done that but he improved the occasion by telling those around him that they should so live as to be ever ready for the hand of death if that were possible where then indeed would be the victory of the grave and at last he came to the master and lord whom they had lost even here there was no difficulty for him the heir had gone first and then the father and his brother who among them would not pity the bereaved mother and the widow who among them would not remember with affection the babe whom they had seen at that font and with respect the landlord under whose rule they had lived how pleasant it must be to ask those questions when no one can rise to answer farmer gubbins as he sat by listening with what power of attention had been vouchsafed to him felt himself to be somewhat moved but soon released himself from the task and allowed his mind to run away into other ideas the rector was a kindly man and a generous the rector would allow him to enclose that little bit of common land that was to be taken in without adding anything to his rent the rector would be there on audit days and things would be very pleasant farmer gubbins when the slight murmuring gurgle of the preacher's tears was heard shook his own head by way of a responsive wail but at that moment he was congratulating himself on the coming comfort of the new reign mr fielding however got great credit for his own sermon and it did probably more good than harm unless indeed we should take into our calculation in giving our award on this subject the permanent utility of all truth and the permanent injury of all falsehood mr fielding remained at the parsonage during the greater part of the following week and then there took place a great deal of family conversation respecting the future incumbent of the living at these family conclaves however fanny was not asked to be present mrs clavering who knew well how to do such work was gradually bringing her husband round to endure the name of mr saul twenty times had he asserted that he could not understand it but whether or no such understanding might ever be possible he was beginning to recognize it as true that the thing not understood was a fact his daughter fanny was positively in love with mr saul and that to such an extent that her mother believed her happiness to be involved in it i can't understand it upon my word i can't said the rector for the last time and then he gave way there was now the means of giving an ample provision for the lovers and that provision was to be given mr fielding shook his head not in this instance as to fanny's predilection for mr saul though in discussing that matter with his own wife he had shaken his head very often but he shook it now with reference to the proposed change he was very well where he was and although clavering was better than humbleton it was not so much better as to induce him to throw his own family over by proposing to send mr saul among them mr saul was an excellent clergyman but perhaps his uncle who had given him his living might not like mr saul thus it was decided in these conclaves that mr saul was to be the future rector of clavering in the meantime poor fanny moped wretched in her solitude anticipating no such glorious joys as her mother was preparing for her and mr saul was preparing with energy for his departure into foreign parts lady ongar was at tenby when she received mrs clavering's letter and had not heard of the fate of her brother-in-law till the news reached her in that way 
she had gone down to a lodging at tenby with no attendant but one maid and was preparing herself for the great surrender of her property which she meditated hitherto she had heard nothing from the courtons or their lawyer as to the offer she had made about ongar park but the time had been short and lawyers work as she knew was never done in a hurry she had gone to tenby flying in truth from the loneliness of london to the loneliness of the seashore but expecting she knew not what comfort from the change she would take with her no carriage and there would as she thought be excitement even in that she would take long walks by herself she would read nay if possible she would study and bring herself to some habits of industry hitherto she had failed in everything but now she would try if some modes of success might not be open to her she would ascertain too on what smallest sum she could live respectably and without penury and would keep only so much out of lord ongar's wealth but hitherto her life at tenby had not been successful solitary days were longer there even than they had been in london people stared at her more and though she did not own it to herself she missed greatly the comforts of her london house as for reading i doubt whether she did much better by the seaside than she had done in the town men and women say that they will read and think so those i mean who have acquired no habit of reading believing the work to be of all works the easiest it may be work they think but of all works it must be the easiest of achievement given the absolute faculty of reading the task of going through the pages of a book must be of all tasks the most certainly within the grasp of the man or woman who attempts it alas no if the habit be not there of all tasks it is the most difficult if a man have not acquired the habit of reading till he be old he shall sooner in his old age learn to make shoes than learn the adequate use of a book and worse again under such circumstances the making of shoes shall be more pleasant to him than the reading of a book let those who are not old who are still young ponder this well lady ongar indeed who was not old by no means too old to clothe herself in new habits but even she was old enough to find that doing so was a matter of much difficulty she had her books around her but in spite of her books she was sadly in want of some excitement when the letter from clavering came to her relief it was indeed a relief her brother-in-law dead and he who had so lately been her suitor these two men whom she had so lately seen in lusty health proud with all the pride of outward life had both by a stroke of the winds been turned into nothing a terrible retribution had fallen upon her enemy for as her enemy she had ever regarded hugh clavering since her husband's death she took no joy in this retribution there was no feeling of triumph at her heart that he had perished she did not tell herself that she was glad either for her own sake or for her sister's but mingled with the awe she felt there was something of unexpressed and inexpressible relief her present life was very grievous to her and now had occurred that which would open to her new hopes and a new mode of living her brother-in-law had oppressed her by his very existence and now he was gone had she had no brother-in-law who ought to have welcomed her her return to england would not have been terrible to her as it had been her sister would now be restored to her and her solitude would probably be at an end and then the very excitement occasioned by the news was salutary to her she was in truth shocked as she said to her maid she felt it to be very dreadful but nevertheless the day on which she received those tidings was less wearisome to her than any of the other days that she had passed at tenby poor archie some feeling of a tear some half-formed drop that was almost a tear came to her eye as she thought of his fate how foolish she had always been how unintelligent how deficient in all those qualities which recommend men to women but the very memory of his deficiencies created something like a tenderness in his favour 
hugh was disagreeable nay hateful by reason of the power which he possessed whereas archie was not hateful at all and was disagreeable simply because nature had been a niggard to him and then he had professed himself to be her lover there had not been much in this for he had come of course for her money but even when that is the case a woman will feel something for the man who has offered to link his lot with hers of all those to whom the fate of the two brothers had hitherto been matter of moment i think that lady ongar felt more than any other for the fate of poor archie and how would it affect harry clavering she had desired to give harry all the good things of the world thinking that they would become him well thinking that they would become him very well as reaching him from her hand now he would have them all but would not have them from her now he would have them all and would share them with florence burton ah if she could have been true to him in those early days in those days when she had feared his poverty would it not have been well now with her also the measure of her retribution was come full home to her at last sir harry clavering she tried the name and found that it sounded very well and she thought of the figure of the man and of his nature and she knew that he would bear it with a becoming manliness sir harry clavering would be somebody in his county would be a husband of whom his wife would be proud as he went about among his tenants and his gamekeepers and perhaps on wider and better journeys looking up the voters of his neighbourhood yes happy would be the wife of sir harry clavering he was a man who would delight in sharing his house his hope his schemes and counsels with his wife he would find a companion in his wife he would do honour to his wife and make much of her he would like to see her go bravely and then if children came how tender he would be to them whether harry could ever have become a good head to a poor household might be doubtful but no man had ever been born fitter for the position which he was now called upon to fill it was thus that lady ongar thought of harry clavering as she owned to herself that the full measure of her just retribution had come to her of course she would go at once to clavering park she wrote to her sister saying so and the next day she started she started so quickly on her journey that she reached the house not very many hours after her own letter she was there when the rector started for london and there when mr fielding preached his sermon but she did not see mr clavering before he went nor was she present to hear the eloquence of the younger clergyman till after that sunday the only member of the family she had seen was mrs clavering who spent some period of every day up at the great house mrs clavering had not hitherto seen lady ongar since her return and was greatly astonished at the change which so short a time had made she is handsomer than ever she was mrs clavering said to the rector but it is that beauty which some women carry into the middle life and not the loveliness of youth lady ongar's manner was cold and stately when she first met mrs clavering it was on the morning of her marriage when they had last met when julia brabazon was resolving that she would look like a countess and that to be a countess should be enough for her happiness she could not but remember this now and was unwilling at first to make confession of her failure by any meekness of conduct it behooved her to be proud at any rate till she should know how this new lady clavering would receive her and then it was more than probable that this new lady clavering knew all that had taken place between her and harry it behooved her therefore to hold her head on high but before the week was over mrs clavering for we will still call her so had broken lady ongar's spirit by her kindness and the poor woman who had so much to bear had brought herself to speak of the weight of her burden julia had on one occasion called her lady clavering and for the moment this had been allowed to pass without observation the widowed lady was then present and no notice of the name was possible but soon afterward mrs clavering made her little request on the subject i do not quite know what the custom may be she said but do not call me so just yet 
it will only be reminding hermy of her bereavement she is thinking of it always said julia no doubt she is but still the new name would wound her and indeed it perplexes me also let it come by and by when we are more settled lady ongar had truly said that her sister was as yet always thinking of her bereavement to her now it was as though the husband she had lost had been a paragon among men she could only remember of him his manliness his power a dignity of presence which he possessed and the fact that to her he had been everything she thought of that last vain caution which she had given him when with her hardly permitted last embrace she had besought him to take care of himself she did not remember now how coldly that embrace had been received how completely those words had been taking as meaning nothing how he had left her not only without a sign of affection but without an attempt to repress the evidences of his indifference but she did remember that she had had her arm upon his shoulder and tried to think of that embrace as though it had been sweet to her and she did remember how she had stood at the window listening to the sounds of the wheels which took him off and watching his form as long as her eye could rest upon it ah what falsehoods she told herself now of her love to him and of his goodness to her pious falsehoods which would surely tend to bring some comfort to her wounded spirit but her sister could hardly bear to hear the praises of sir hugh when she found how it was to be she resolved that she would bear them bear them and not contradict them but her struggle in doing so was great and was almost too much for her he had judged me and condemned me she said at last and therefore as a matter of course we were not such friends when we last met as we used to be before my marriage but julia there was much for which you owed him gratitude we will say nothing about that now hermy i do not know why your mouth should be closed on such a subject because he has gone i should have thought that you would be glad to acknowledge his kindness to you but you were always very hard perhaps i am hard and twice he asked you to come here since your return but you would not come i have come now hermy when i have thought that i might be of use he felt it when you did not come home before i know he did lady ongar could not but think of the way in which he had manifested his feelings on the occasion of his visit to bolton street i could never understand why you were so bitter i think dear that we had better not discuss that i also have had much to bear i as well as you what you have borne has come in no wise from your own fault no indeed i did not want him to go i would have given anything to keep him at home her sister had not been thinking of the suffering which had come to her from the loss of her husband but of her former miseries this however she did not explain no lady ongar continued to say you have nothing for which to blame yourself whereas i have much indeed everything if we are to remain together as i hope we may it will be better for us to say that bygones should be bygones do you mean that i am never to speak of hugh no i by no means intend that but i would rather that you should not refer to his feelings toward me i think he did not quite understand the sort of life that i led while my husband was alive and that he judged me amiss therefore i would have bygones be bygones three or four days after this when the question of leaving clavering park was being mooted the elder sister started a difficulty as to money matters an offer had been made to her by mrs clavering to remain at the great house but this she had declined alleging that the place would be distasteful to her after her husband's death she poor soul did not allege that it had been made distasteful to her forever by the solitude which she had endured there during her husband's lifetime she would go away somewhere and live as best she might upon her jointure it was not very much but it would be sufficient she did not see she said how she could live with her sister because she did not wish to be dependent julia of course would live in a style to which she could make no pretence mrs clavering who was present as was also lady ongar declared that she saw no such difficulty sisters together she said need hardly think of a difference in such matters 
then it was that lady ongar first spoke to either of them of her half-formed resolution about her money and then too for the first time did she come down altogether from that high horse on which she had been as it were compelled to mount herself while in mrs clavering's presence i think i must explain she said something of what i mean to do about my money that is i do not think that there will be much difference between me and hermy in that respect that is nonsense said her sister fretfully there will be a difference in income certainly said mrs clavering but i do not see that that need create any uncomfortable feeling only one doesn't like to be dependent said hermione you shall not be asked to give up any of your independence said julia with a smile a melancholy smile that gave but little sign of pleasantness within then on a sudden her face became stern and hard the fact is she said i do not intend to keep lord ongar's money not to keep your income said hermione no i will give it back to them or at least the greater part of it why should i keep it it is your own said mrs clavering yes legally it is my own i know that and when there was some question whether it should not be disputed i would have fought for it to the last shilling somebody i suppose it was the lawyer wanted to keep me from the place in surrey i told them then that i would not abandon my right to an inch of it but they yielded and now i have given them back the house you have given it back said her sister yes i have said that they may have it it is of no use to me i hate the place you have been very generous said mrs clavering but that will not affect your income said hermione no that would not affect my income then she paused not knowing how to go on with the story of her purpose if i may say so lady ongar said mrs clavering i would not if i were you take any steps in so important a matter without advice who is there that can advise me of course the lawyer tells me that i ought to keep it all it is his business to give such advice as that but what does he know of what i feel how can he understand me how indeed can i expect that any one shall understand me but it is possible that people should misunderstand you said mrs clavering exactly that is just what he says but mrs clavering i care nothing for that i care nothing for what anybody says or thinks what is it to me what they say i should have thought that it was everything said her sister no it is nothing nothing at all then she was silent again and was unable to express herself she could not bring herself to declare in words that self-condemnation of her own conduct which was now weighing so heavily upon her it was not that she wished to keep back her feelings either from her sister or from mrs clavering but that the words in which to express them were wanting to her and have they accepted the house mrs clavering asked they must accept it what else can they do they cannot make me call it mine if i do not choose if i refuse to take the income which mr courton's lawyer pays to my bankers they cannot compel me to have it but you are not going to give that up too said her sister i am i will not have his money not more than enough to keep me from being a scandal to his family i will not have it it is a curse to me and has been from the first what right have i to all that money because 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 she could not finish her sentence but turned away from them and walked by herself to the window lady clavering looked at mrs clavering as though she thought that her sister was mad do you understand her said lady clavering in a whisper i think i do said the other i think i know what is passing in her mind then she followed lady ongar across the room and taking her gently by the arm tried to comfort her to comfort her and to argue with her as to the rashness of that which she proposed to do she endeavoured to explain to the poor woman how it was that she should at this moment be wretched and anxious to do that which if done would put it out of her power afterward to make herself useful in the world it shocked the prudence of mrs clavering this idea of abandoning money the possession of which was questioned by no one they do not want it lady ongar she said that has nothing to do with it answered the other and nobody has any suspicion but what it is honourable and fairly your own but does anybody ever think how i got it 
said lady ongar turning sharply round upon mrs clavering you 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 do not dare tell me what you think of the way in which it became mine could you bear it if it had become yours after such a fashion i cannot bear it and i will not she was now speaking with so much violence that her sister was awed into silence and mrs clavering found herself a difficulty in answering her whatever may have been the past she said the question now is how to do the best for the future i had hoped continued lady ongar without noticing what was said to her i had hoped to make everything straight by giving his money to another you know to whom i mean and so does hermy i thought when i returned that bad as i had been i might still do some good in the world but it is as they tell us in the sermons one cannot make good come out of evil i have done evil and nothing but evil has come out of the evil which i have done nothing but evil will come from it as for being useful in the world i know of what use i am when women hear how wretched i have been they will be unwilling to sell themselves as i did then she made her way to the door and left the room going out with quiet steps and closing the lock behind her with a sound i did not know that she was such as that said mrs clavering nor did i she has never spoken in that way before poor soul hermione you see there are those in the world whose sufferings are worse than yours i don't know said lady clavering she never lost what i have lost never she has lost what i am sure you will never lose her own self-esteem but hermy you should be good to her we must all be good to her will it not be better that you should stay with us for a while both of you what here at the park we will make room for you at the rectory if you would like it oh no i will go away i shall be better away i suppose she will not be like that often will she she was much moved just now and what does she mean about her income she cannot be in earnest she is in earnest now and can it not be prevented only think if after all were she to give up her jointure mrs clavering you do not think she is mad do you mrs clavering said what she could to comfort the elder and weaker sister on this subject explaining to her that the courtons would not be at all likely to take advantage of any wild generosity on the part of lady ongar and then she walked home across the park meditating on the character of the two sisters end of chapter forty nine recording by jean bascom potomac maryland